Okay, so so why are we talking to you today? I have no earthly idea why you would want to talk to me. But if you make me guess, I would imagine it is some combination of being interested in all the horrific and terrifying things that North Korea is doing and being interested in the interesting ways that we go about tracking that. That is exactly right. That is why we want to talk to you. Jeffrey Lewis is an arms control policy expert and the East Asia director of the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. Back in March, North Korea did one of those terrifying things. Again, with breaking news, North Korea fired a suspected long-range ballistic missile toward the sea this morning, its first such test since 2017. Violating several U.N.-issued sanctions. Officials Japanese say- officials said it flew 1,100 kilometers and fell in Japanese waters. This type of missile is designed to carry nuclear warheads and could reach the United States. North Korea has been testing two kinds of ballistic missiles a short-range one they say they'd use on U.S. forces should they ever invade from South Korea or Japan, and another long-range missile they call the Wasong-17. People in the non-proliferation community, like Jeffrey, have a nickname for it, the monster missile. This is a missile that can take not just one, but many warheads all the way from North Korea to the United States. So back on March 24th, the North Koreans announced that they'd successfully test-launched the big one. And they got so giddy about it, they released this video. And this is the actual music from it. They had Kim Jong-un, like, looking dramatically at his watch, wearing crazy sunglasses. You know, it was this really overproduced video to say that the missile had worked. The video is unintentionally hilarious. Kim Jong-un is wearing a Top Gun-like leather jacket, and he's walking in slow motion. He's flanked on either side by two generals, and an enormous mobile launch vehicle is slowly trailing along behind them. The video shows the missile powering up, and then, about four minutes in, liftoff. There's smoke, the missile rises into the air, the music swells, and then the camera cuts to Kim and a bunch of generals punching the air and applauding. The whole production suggests that the great leader has created a missile that will allow him to threaten, really threaten, the U.S. with nuclear war. But Jeffrey Lewis and his team of satellite analysts aren't so sure everything is as it first appears. Yeah, I know, this is so confusing. Does this look right? It's very difficult to verify anything. This is sparking our interest. This doesn't seem like it matches. I'm Dina Templerast, and this is Click Here, a podcast about the world of cyber and intelligence. Today, a story about a North Korean missile launch, a team of satellite image specialists, and a painstaking search for the truth. For the first time, Jeffrey's team will publicly reveal why they believe that North Korea's monster missile launch in March was an elaborate ruse. And the way they found it may surprise you. So how did you catch this? It's a really good question how one goes about noticing something like this. I think there probably has to be something slightly wrong with you. (laughs) Stay with us.
In Norway, a woman's boyfriend forgets who she is overnight. In Detroit, a man is arrested, but he was never at the crime scene. In Spain, disturbing pictures of young girls have appeared, and no one knows who's behind them. Something strange is happening. A collision between people and artificial intelligence. Discover more in The Guardian's new series, Black Box. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes, Monday and Thursdays. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. You are listening to the Arms Control Wong Podcast, a podcast on arms control, disarmament, and nonproliferation. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Lewis, a professor at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. The audience for Jeffrey's podcast is a bit self-selecting. He has experts and grad students talk about the secret doings of nuclear states. And North Korea is a perennial topic. They talk about the latest missile launches. This ended up being f***ing Missile Week. Joke about the great leader's smoking habits. We were smoking again, too. Yeah, yeah he's back to smoking. He was in his- And the continuous theme running through it all. We know that North Korea doesn't always tell us the truth. What may be more surprising is that Jeffrey views these propaganda films, like the one that came out at the end of March, as incredibly instructive. Because when you catch someone in a lie, then you've learned something really interesting about what they care about. You know what they want you to think, and you know what they want you to not know. Like, for example, Korean leader Kim Jong-un's preoccupation with a particular part of his anatomy. Well, my favorite thing that North Korea loves to lie about, which they've stopped doing, so I'm a little disappointed, but they always used to adjust the size of Kim Jong-un's ears. Apparently the man thinks his ears are too big. Or at least he did. Uh, They've given up on doing that, but we would just see image after image after image when they had made his ears a little bit smaller. And I I don't know why you would do that, but, but they did. So he clearly cares about his ears. He clearly cares about his ears, yes. It seems Kim wants the world to think he has delicate little ears. His ears look totally normal to me. I don't, I don't, I don't see what the problem is, but you know, maybe you should see a therapist about that. Kim's latest video does tell us one thing about the great leader. He is still incredibly focused on missiles and their size. Though those productions actually only reveal so much. So to see what's really going on, Jeffrey and his team zoom out and they turn to satellites to help fill in the blanks. Tiny, inexpensive Earth imaging powerhouses delivering data on demand. That's a promotional video from Planet Labs, one of the hundreds of satellite companies now offering clients snapshots and panoramas of the Earth. Our constellation of nearly 200 Earth observation satellites currently orbiting Earth is the largest ever. And we've amassed... Right behind Planet, in terms of sheer coverage, is the Chinese Ministry of Defense. Satellite reconnaissance today can offer everything from a glimpse into the black boxes of reclusive regimes to the strength of an enemy force. Satellites were once only the purview of governments and spy agencies. Now business people, environmentalists, and researchers like Jeffrey can look at imagery of the past to inform the future. One of the things that's changed about satellite imagery over the past decade or two is now there is so much of it. 
And with so much of it, you actually kind of get some choices. You can choose from high-resolution images to make out cars and even individuals, or moderate resolution, so a building shows up, but a car would look like a smudge. But these choices have trade-offs. High-resolution images only give you a picture of a very small area. It is like looking at the Earth through a drinking straw. So you need to know exactly what you're looking for and exactly where to look. Moderate resolution is a little more forgiving. For example, a satellite company like Planet. They try to take a picture of the whole Earth every day at about three meters in resolution. And so that gives you a ton of coverage. It becomes a kind of time-lapse photography. So you, what you try to do is try to watch all the moderate resolution stuff that you're getting all the time so that you know to say, oh, hey, look, something's interesting happening here. And then you ask the satellite company to take a high-resolution picture there. That's what happened a couple of years ago when pictures came out of Kim Jong-un touring this factory where it was believed North Korea was making crucial parts for short-range ballistic missiles. One of the images had Kim looking at this map that suggested the plant was about to undergo a huge expansion. So Lewis and the Middlebury team now had a place to look. A huge expansion of the plant, if it were true, would be an important thing for the world to know. It would mean that North Korea was stepping up its short- and medium-range ballistic missile programs. But what if it was a head fake, like Kim's ears? So Lewis and the team started to dig. When we, when we found the place he visited, they had not started the expansion yet. So it was just this tiny, tiny, tiny little facility. So they tasked a high-resolution satellite, the one with that soda straw view, to take pictures over the course of several months of North Korea knocking down buildings at the plant and building new ones. And then Jeffrey and his team told the world. Uh, this expansion is happening. When he's at the Institute in Monterey, Jeffrey tends to sit in the graduate research assistant room. I don't work in my office. I have a very nice office. Um, it has a lot of books in it. The one thing it does not have are the other human beings that I need to be successful and feel fulfilled at work. He's put together a kind of super smart Team America. Yeah, my name is Lisa Levina. I'm also a graduate research assistant here. Stephen De La Fuente. John Ford. Trisha White. I'm Michael Dutzman. You're Ben, right? Yes. And they called you Mr. Computer? <laughs> Walking computer, Walking I think Trisha said. <laughs> Their superpower is microanalysis the uncanny ability to see those little things, the incremental changes, and then give them meaning. And, like Team America, they specialize. Lisa Levina speaks Korean and models rockets. Trisha White, among other things, finds clues in social media. John Ford has this incredible ability to remember if he's seen something before and then actually place it. Something that just came out earlier today to John, and I'm like, oh, like, Kim Jong-un is sitting at a really big table. And he's like, oh, is that in this place? And I'm like, yes, it is. is <laughs> because he knows the exact table. He knows what places in North Korea where they would meet to have a certain type of meeting and have a really big table and what those pictures kind of look like. Pretty cool ability. And they're always asking questions like, What is normal? What is expected? What is weird? When we come back, how Lewis and his team caught Kim Jong-un in a big lie. Stay with us. What if someone you love asks you to help them die? What would you say? This is the powerful question at the heart of the ultimate choice. The series follows the journey of Michael and his wife Anne as they grapple with his request to choose the way he wants to die. I'm Rob Cribb. 
And through their story, I learned a lot about my own family. I hope the show is a way to start conversations many of us want to have, but rarely do. The ultimate choice is out now. My name is Ben. Uh, my background is actually a little bit weird in some ways for a lot of people in this field because I come from more of a STEM engineering background. Uh, do you than have a last name, Ben? Mueller. Ben Mueller. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's Ben Mueller, the so-called human computer. And he's one of the researchers at the Middlebury Institute in Monterey. He and his colleagues are constantly looking at satellite imagery and then cross-referencing it with lots of open-source information. A lot of the long-term projects we have is process of we note down a site that we want to pay attention to, and we might go back to it and look at what's the new satellite imagery every few weeks, right? So how do you know what to look for? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question, because if you if you don't know what you're looking for and you're just open to whatever is happening, you can interpret things that are just normal as, as being wrong. You can look so the team makes a point of looking at regularly updated satellite images over extended periods so they can see changes over time. Long-term, like, let's go back, not just look at it now, let's look at it five years ago, let's look at it ten years ago, let's look at it um, for whatever information we can get available. And that's where, as well, like, working together as a team and bouncing ideas off each other, like, is this something that makes sense or am I just reading into it, right? A lot of that is, is the collaborative part of open source really matters. When Jeffrey first started watching North Korea back in the 90s, its nuclear ambitions were a bit of a joke. We thought they wanted a nuclear weapon, but it wasn't all that clear that they could actually get to the point of having one. And it was a threat that we kind of thought of as being abstract and a thing we'd like to prevent, but not something that felt pressing. Turns out a lot of people were wrong about that. It was pressing. And today, North Korea has an extremely large and well-developed missile program. They used to name the missiles after local places. Pretty soon they ran out of towns and just started numbering them. Uh, and we're up into the 30s now. And North Korea has done six nuclear tests. And so, at least for someone like me, there is no doubt that North Korea can put a nuclear warhead on a missile and send it all the way to the United States. But the U.S. can deal with that. It gets more complicated if there is more than one warhead on a missile, which is exactly what North Korea is working on. And what they really want to do is put multiple warheads in the missile so that they can overwhelm our missile defenses. And the Wasong monster missile was designed to do that. Except... This guy, Colin Zwerko, was the first person who said, I, I don't think this is right. Zwerko is a senior correspondent for NK News based in Seoul. And that's music to our ears. Because that is, that is like waving a red flag at a bull. And, and my whole team was like, well, let's check that out. There are tools online that you can use to measure the angle of the sun at a particular time of day and determine which direction the shadow should fall. That's Michael Deussman. He kind of specializes in measuring shadows. So he looked at another North Korean missile launch just days before, on March 16th. We could compare the direction the shadow would fall at the two different launch times and determine how that compared with what was seen in the video. They realized the video was made using footage from two different launches. I do remember being in the office and Jeffrey slamming his hand on the desk and thinking this was like a really big deal. Is that true? Does he yeah. slam his hand on the desk a lot? Well, occasionally. 
in a good excitement, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey pulled up an image from the North Korean video to give me an idea of how they pieced it together. It's a wide-angle shot from above. A few scattered buildings, some trees, a road, and a long, dark blob, which pretty quickly, you understand, looks a lot like that launch truck in the propaganda film. The first image, the truck is sitting on the road at kind of a funny angle. And if you look really closely, you can see this white spot, and that's the missile standing up on end. It almost looks like a microphone lying on its side with a little sort of white dot at the end. Yes, that's a, eh, you should be in radio. <laughs> and what's notable about this is there's enough detail in this drone image that you can tell exactly where on the road this truck is. And you can see that, it again, it's at this kind of slightly funny angle. Then he shows me the second image from Planet Labs. It's a satellite picture from March 16th, almost 10 days before the Wasung-17 launch was supposed to have happened. And it's a very high-resolution image. And it's of exactly the same spot. You can see all the same buildings. You can see the same fields. The road looks the same. Even the damage to the road is identical. And you can really see that detail. And the truck is gone, but there's a, a black kind of smear. And that smear is the burn scar. The kind of burn you get from a fiery missile launch. It's a kind of half a rectangle because the burn mark traces the outline of the truck. It's almost like you went and looked at Kim Jong-un and, and you asked him like, hey, did you eat those brownies? And he says, no, I don't know who did it but he's got chocolate smeared all over his face. I mean, it's just such a perfect giveaway. But here's the thing. When Lewis and his team go back to the satellite images from March 24th, the day the North Koreans say they successfully launched the monster missile, those burn marks aren't there. And I don't see any evidence that it was launched. No evidence of a launch either that day or in that place. So how do you launch a monster missile without leaving a trace? That started them thinking. We had already looked at the position of the sun in the video. But that didn't add up either. The launch on the 24th was supposed to be in the afternoon. But the position of the sun in the video suggested it was filmed in the morning. And then there was this issue of the way the monster missile was actually flying. Nothing like the team had expected. We had built a model of the Hwasung-17, a numerical model. That's Michael Dutzman again. And knowing what we did about the engine and the propellants and everything else, we expected it to accelerate at a certain rate, and it did not. Ex it accelerated slower than that, which was kind of a red flag. Either our model was wrong, or there was something wrong with the missile. It's really this kind of really chaotic, iterative process where what you're trying to do is pull in all this data and compare it, organize it, try to make it make some sense, realize what you're missing, and then go get that data. And you just kind of do it over and over and over again. Jeffrey says that while he may be slamming desks with his fists at various moments in the process, there's rarely an aha moment. What more likely happens is you start to realize what the answer is. You know, there's almost a kind of gravity that the truth has where it's clear that one answer is simpler than the others, one answer explains all the evidence pretty well. So the results of the team's investigation, revealed here for the first time, pointed to this. They tested two missiles in March. One that worked, 
and one that didn't. The simplest answer is that they launched the big one on the 16th. They filmed it. Kim Jong-un was there, but it blew up. So they couldn't announce it. So they came back a few days later. They launched a different missile that they were pretty sure would work. Then they released a big, splashy video. In order to imply it had worked. Lewis said he doesn't know where exactly they launched the second smaller missile from, but it obviously wasn't from the same spot with the burn marks that the satellite images captured. The secret sauce in looking at imagery are the signatures. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, great, here's a picture or a video of a missile launcher, but it's all the little things that go with it, like burn marks and the trailers in the background and the vehicles that are in the background that help over time to develop a real sense about what's going on. That's John Lauder. He used to serve as director of the CIA's Non-Proliferation Center. And I'm, I'm a believer in those capabilities and what folks like Jeffrey Lewis are doing. The downside is, of course, well, it starts to reveal a bit about how one goes about looking like imagery and helps maybe the North Koreans being a little smarter next time putting together a video that might give something away. Lauder says next time around, Kim's team of propagandists might be a little bit smarter. And there will be a next time. This particular failure to launch doesn't mean that North Korea has given up trying. And what worries me is if you talk to South Koreans, when you ask them about these tactical nuclear weapons, they say, well, South Korea has conventional missiles, and so the best thing to do is before Kim Jong-un uses his tactical nuclear weapons, we can use our conventional missiles to kill him. But of course, that logic has an inherent flaw. So we are in a situation where North Korea looks at its security and its nuclear weapons and says, in a crisis, we have to go first. And the South Koreans look at their conventional missiles and the North Korean nuclear threat, and they say, in a crisis, we have to go first. They both plan on going first, and one of them is wrong about that. Kim Jong-un may have given up on making his ears look smaller, but he's unlikely to shake his obsession with the Wasong-17. Jeffrey says eventually he's going to get that missile to succeed. And one of the things I'm concerned about is we're not really emotionally ready to have that conversation. This is Click Here. Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. On Monday, the U.S. blacklisted a virtual currency mixer called Tornado Cash. The Treasury Department alleges it played a role in laundering money for a roster of cyber criminals, including North Korea's Lazarus Group. They're the hackers behind the infamous Sony Pictures and Bangladesh bank heists. Cryptocurrency mixers are technically supposed to help increase the privacy of various transactions by pooling users' cryptocurrencies together and then allowing them to withdraw some amount equal to whatever they contributed. But the Treasury Department alleges Tornado Cash has laundered billions of dollars in ill-gotten gains and has failed to impose effective controls in its systems. Twitter officially confirmed that information connected to some 5.4 million accounts leaked in January. Two weeks ago, a hacker on Breach forums offered email addresses and phone numbers connected to the Twitter accounts, which they said ranged from celebrities to companies to randoms. 
Researchers immediately tied the post to a vulnerability in Twitter's platform discovered back in January. Twitter said the vulnerability allowed anyone to enter a phone number or email address when logging in to learn if that information was tied to an existing Twitter account. It could also be used to identify the specific account associated with that information. And finally, according to the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency and Australia's Cybersecurity Centre, last year's malware all-stars included Agent Tesla, Quackbot, Trickbot, and Gootloader, among others. The agency said that in 2021, remote access Trojans, banking Trojans, information stealers, and ransomware were the favorite tools of the trade. Malware is typically updated, and code from one may be reused for others, contributing to the longevity of particular strains. Both Quackbot and Trickbot are typically used to build out powerful networks of zombie computers known as botnets. Click Here is a production of The Record by Recorded Future. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, your host, writer, and executive producer. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer and helps with the writing. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors, Darren Ancrum is our fact-checker, and Ben Levingston composes our original music, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Kendra Hanna is our intern. And very special thanks to you all. Click Here is now one of the top three tech news podcasts in America. Unfortunately, this means that now when I disgrace myself on your show... Uh, More people will know. Exactly. (laughs) Which was our goal. Okay. And we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. And you can connect with us at clickhereshow.com. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.